0: Hey, welcome to the church home podcast with judah smith uh that's me judah i am so excited to share this message about jesus and his love for you i really hope it's a personal encouragement to you hey let us know if we can serve you at churchhome.org join us on pastor chat uh, on the app we want to make sure that you are cared for and loved without any further delay let's jump in here's the message Hey, church home. Welcome to another weekly service. I'm so glad you're here. I am Judah, married to Chelsea with our three kids. Um. I just can't imagine where you are in the world, what's happening in your life for you to take time during the week to digest this content and lean in with us and recall and remember and rehearse that there is a God, He loves you so much and you are literally in the palm of His hand, you're the apple of His eye, you're in the center of His heart. And more than anything, I pray these next 25 minutes leaves you with a grand and overwhelming sense there is a God and he is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And by the way, if you don't believe in him, he believes in you and made you for a purpose. Today, I'm really excited. We are continuing a collection of talks um, from Romans, specifically what we now identify as Romans Chapter 8. It was the great former Martin Luther who believed that Romans chapter 8 was uh, the great snapshot, the synopsis, if you will, of the entirety of the message of Jesus and what we call the good news. Um, Last week, we discussed this idea of pressure and tests and trials and pain and difficulty, and that there will be eternity and there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and that will be home, and this is not home. And this week as we continue into Romans chapter 8. Last week we looked at verse 18. This week I want us to go 10 verses deeper in what is probably the theme verse of the whole chapter, Romans 8:28. It says in the ESV, and we know, for those who love God, all things will work together for good because we are called according to his purpose. I grew up memorizing the verse like this, all things, uh, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I believe that's the new King James version, all. Look at that, all things work together for good. Where does this verse come from? Why is Paul using this language? Why is he writing to ancient Romans living in Rome? That's why they're called Romans. And they are endeavoring to follow the way of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the transcendent manifest teaching of Jesus, which was revealed in some three and a half years in his earthly ministry and then confirmed by his death, burial, and let's never forget his resurrection. It was by his resurrection that we confirmed that in fact, he was not merely a phenomenal teacher or an incredible prophet or uh, a wonderful human with high morals, but in fact, he was the incarnation. That's it. That is to say, he is actually God who put on skin and bone. But of course, our teaching and study of theology and doctrine informs us that he was fully God, of course, but also fully man scripture says that he endured all the temptations and challenges and proclivities the temptations of proclivities that you and I felt which is to say he was hungry Uh, he was sad he felt pain Uh, he felt I believe while he hung on the cross he felt despair depression Uh, his mental health was Challenged as he hung there some six hours on the cross, as the Bible declares, he knew no sin, never committed one wrong act, and yet he became all that is wrong in the world so that you and I might become right in our relationship with God. By the time, right? By the time Paul writes this letter, he realizes the chaos and the calamity of the world. And as we stop for a moment in mid to late January, as this uh, message and sermon is aired, I assure you that we find ourselves in more chaos, more calamity, more pain. Reminds me of my bedroom growing up. I'm serious. (laughs) My bedroom was chaos as a kid. Um, I wanted to be clean. I was very, my hygiene was, was at a very high level, I'm not gonna brag, always smelled good, always wore deodorant. I was not the smelly high school basketball player. I was not the smelly middle school kid. I really wasn't, but my bedroom was a cliche. I mean, it was chaos. My mom is in fact a clean freak. I mean, she kept everything neat and tidy, and she endeavored to teach me to limit the chaos in my bedroom from a young age, and all I ever did was stuff it in the closet. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I literally would just take all of the stuff, put it in the closet, and it would appear that the chaos had been resolved, that the calamity that was my bedroom had been well and truly cleaned up, and that everything was in its order until you open the closet. Do you ever feel like your life is like that? The only way you know how to clean up the calamity and the chaos and the challenge and the difficulty is just stuff it into some portion of your soul to stuff the pain, to stuff the difficulty where no one can see it. How you doing? I'm good. You ever done that one? You're not good. You're actually feeling enormous pain, maybe your own personal pain, private pain, but also maybe... Public, continental, country calamities and wars and pains. Bombs, guns, terrorism, racism, prejudice, genocide. These things that we see and we hear and touch us all. Are you like me? Hey, man, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. And that is the proverbial stuff it in the closet. And appear to everyone to be free of the chaos and the calamity and be okay. Are you doing that right now in your life? I've had more chapters than I want to admit where I've just stuffed it in the proverbial closet. But you know that doesn't fix anything. In fact, it festers, doesn't it? And eventually those doors of your closet bulge and the mess spills out. And finally, your mom or some other inspector, friend, coworker, spouse goes, hey, you're you're not okay. Oh, you've been stuffing this. You mean, you haven't dealt with this. You haven't processed this. You haven't communicated this. You haven't been honest about this. Suffering in silence. I believe in many ways, that's why Paul wrote what we now call Romans 8.28. He was speaking of how the sovereign, how the divine, how God himself deals with the chaos and the calamity that is around us, upon us, and frankly, sometimes within us. What are you gonna do? You ever been to a symphony? If you're like me, um, you haven't (laughs) because I actually haven't been to some musicals, been to some plays with a live orchestra, you know, kind of under the stage. So been able to go to a few plays on Broadway and some other places. And oh, I love Broadway. I love plays. I want to do a play someday. Um, And I love a live orchestra. Like to me, it's just the music. Everything is so moving. I love all the parts of the orchestra. And I got to tell you, I love the conductor. Right. I just I love usually the conductor is playing. And buoyant he or she is just this compelling figure who's working it all together and as we approach romans eight twenty-eight, there is an example there is a parallel there is a metaphor and it actually speaks to music theory harmony and melody in the esv it says all things work together for good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, we're going to define that for a moment and explain, because oftentimes people read Romans eight twenty eight and they think the only kind of people that things work out for are the people that actually love God enough. In other words, it's a competition down here. Whoever loves him the most, God will kind of work out the chaos, clean up your closet, and put your life together. That's untrue, and I'll explain that in a moment. But when Paul writes work together, it's actually an ancient word that we derive from the concept of synergy or the working together, much like an orchestra with harmony and melody and all the sections of the symphony and the orchestra. But here's where a lot of our lives are at right now metaphorically. You ever been to the beginning of the play or the beginning of the symphony and everyone's warming up? It is utter and complete chaos of sound that's that's a ridiculous attempt but you know what i mean like it's just there's no rhyme or reason everyone's kind of doing their thing and the, the the horn sections warming up the string sections percussion i don't know all the sections of the symphony come on you know that but you know they're all warming up and it's just a, and everyone's going kind of like, whoa and i am telling you not too distant from now i've experienced like a day, turns into a week, turns into a month, turns into a chapter of your life where that's what it feels like. It feels like when the symphony orchestra is warming up and it's just like nothing's working together, nothing's coagulating, nothing's like that beautiful tapestry, nothing's doing this, it's just misfiring, 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 misfiring. Work is hard, and family life is hard, and marriage is hard, and kids are in pain, and things aren't working, and gossip, and and, and online, and divisiveness, and the country is divided, and this is challenged, and I can't say it right. And My son used to say, instead of, will you forgive me, you've heard me say this before, my male son, Elliot, used to say, will for you give me. And eventually his older brother figured out it was wrong. And he's like, that's not how you say it. And Elliot used to say in his little boy accent, I know I don't say it white. And for a lot of us, that's our life. I know I don't say it white. I know I don't do it white. And you just feel like stuffing it in the closet and just getting on with life. Things like escapism set in. Things like medicating set in. And... The only thing that seems to be temporary or to bring reprieve is temporary escape, a show, a movie, a drink, a smoke, right? And suddenly you realize I'm probably not as healthy as I should be. Man, if you're watching this and you can relate, please, please welcome to church home because we have all, and I do mean all, all been there. That's why Romans eight twenty eight is so meaningful to me because it starts with all. <laughs> I'm like, I can relate with that. All what? It seems to insinuate that all will be touched by chaos. All will be touched by calamity, but all things will work together for good. What? Now, the Stoics. Believed in the Logos. That is the divine. That is the spoken word of God that created all the order of the world. And you can look at the Stoics because I think the Stoics even impacted Paul's writing in his Romans chapter eight. And the concept was that divine was orchestrating everything, all things. He was going to work it together. Though there is free will, there is sovereignty. Sovereignty ultimately uh, actually overrides free will and kind of works it together. In fact, there are ancient theologians and philosophers that God believes that, that, that believe that God even works Uh, demonic, evil, foul, and wicked things, he'll work it together for good. God is working harmonies and melodies out of the chaos of your life. All things work together. What if I told you I believe that it's going to work out? What if I could take the last 10 minutes we have left and emphasize and reveal and show you over and over in the 10 minute time span that, listen to me, it's gonna work out in this life and in the next. It's just gonna work out. God is going to work it together. It's as if your life is the melody and his love, is the harmony it's as if God's plan is the melody and his love is the harmony the metaphor always breaks down to an extent but I hope you're already picking up the idea now if you look at Romans eight twenty-eight, and I think these ancient Roman Jesus followers are dealing with a level of chaos you look at ancient Rome and it was wild wild what was happening, painful stuff, difficult stuff in the economy, uh, emperors, uh, wild things going on in that culture we don't have to dive into for sake of time. But I think Jesus' followers thousands of years ago were wondering, what is God going to do with all the moving parts of the culture in the world? It's painful, it's difficult, and it's not easy. So Paul says, well, here's the deal. In the ESV, he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things harmonize for good, synergize for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The greatest misnomer you can make about Romans 8.28 today, and I got to tell you, if we're going to try to kind of rank the most tattooed verses around the world, you and I both know, Christians, if you can hear me, you know Roman's 828's top 5 easy Easy, okay. John three sixteen, easy. Romans eight twenty eight, easy. And probably it drops significantly after those two verses, okay. Philippians is in there. I can do all things crazy, okay. We we get it, okay. And I just can't remember the address right now, but you get it. I mean, but Romans eight twenty eight is got to be one or two, probably in the whole world for tattooed verses, and yet oftentimes so deeply misunderstood because we take Romans eight twenty eight to say all things work together for good for those who actually love God. So things aren't working together for good for you, it's because you don't love God enough. So preachers like me stop right now, do sermons on Romans 8:28, and they say, you got to love God more, church. You got to love God more. You don't love God enough. You don't go to church enough. You don't read your Bible enough. You're not moral enough. You're not noble enough. You're not committed enough. You don't fast enough. You don't donate enough. Come on, you got to do more. If you love God enough, it'll work for good. But in an effort to describe the original language and what is actually being said in Romans 8:28, listen to a newer translation called the Passion Translation because it nails the original language even more effectively. It says this, so we are convinced that every detail of our lives is in is continually being woven together for good. That's what God does. Why or how or for who? For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. You know why it's gonna work together? Because he loves you. And at the revelation of how extensive and expansive his love is for you, you love him in return, and it is a manifestation that in fact, melody, harmony are going to work in your favor. God's gonna work it together. I literally was in my kitchen late last night telling my middle son, it's gonna work out. I'm telling you, son, you'll always know it's gonna work out. I said, one of the revelations you're gonna learn as a young man is the favor of God. And the favor of God to say it simply means it's going to work together. It's going to work out. God is going to see it through in this life or in the next. And I am sitting here as a man who is still missing my father who some 12, 13 years ago passed horrifically from about with multiple myeloma cancer, but I am here to testify it worked out. I'll see my dad again. The harmony and the melody, the orchestra sounds like chaos sometimes in my life, but here comes the wonderful king conductor who starts to bring it all together. And eventually you get to a place with the divine, with God himself, that you are just adoring of how the conductor works. And you see him using the most tragic, painful, horrific chapter, season, days, and weeks of your life. And he makes something beautiful out of something that in some cases was intended to destroy you, derail you, and at the very least, distract you. So I'm gonna say it, I'm gonna read it again. I am convinced. I love the language, listen to the language. Paul says, we are convinced, are we church home? That's a big part of today's sermon, that we would be convinced together, that in community we would convince each other that our lives are being continually woven together for what? For good for good, for a good outcome. It's going to work together for good. Why? How How can I be so confident, preacher? How can you say, I mean, everything's gonna work together for good? Yeah, even the things in this life that don't end well, new heavens, new earth, come on, we established that last week in verse 18. No matter what we win, my dad used to say, how are we convinced of this because we're his lovers i know that's pretty intimate language that might be maybe feels and lands a little wonky but because we're his lovers man that we're not just loved by god we're his lovers like he's 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 our lover he's he's adoring he's admiring he thinks about us we're always on his mind we move his heart we're his lovers and 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 more importantly to the Stoics and what they believe. We're called to fulfill a very specific designed purpose. If you were supposed to be alive in the 60s, you would have been, and maybe some of you were. If you were supposed to be alive in 1842, you would have been, but you were designed for 2024. Can you believe it? I know. I know, I almost said 2021, 2022. I had to like, no, no, no. Oh my word, 2024. You were designed for this time. You were designed for this month. You were designed for this day. And God is gonna work it together for good. Don't listen to people out there in the fodder of the world telling you that it's unrecoverable. The damage is far too great. No, he will heal nations continents, governments, people groups. He'll bring ethnicities together. He's an orchestrator. He's a conductor. He's a harmonizer. And he is, in fact, working it for your good. What is the evidence that convinces us of this? His love. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son in our place, who took our punishment so we could have his favor and his blessing. What if you believed, I mean, honestly, let's stop for a moment, let's digress. What if you lived the rest of your life convinced it's gonna work out? In what way would that harm you? Well, hope deferred makes the heart sick, preacher, so if I get my hopes up that it's gonna work out and it doesn't, then what? What's the alternative? I mean, literally, right? I know this isn't foolproof logic, but what's the alternative? Just gonna believe that some things will never work out. No, I I, I believe in this life, and I know for a fact in the next, new heavens, new earth will be home, all will be whole, all will be healed, and all will be right. That gives me perspective now that this will work together for good. And I end with this. There's a character in the Bible named Joseph. He is uh, uniquely chosen by God. He's favored. He's got a lot of brothers and they end up kind of despising him because everything he does, please hear me, everything he does in the book of Genesis for Joseph works out. It works out it just works out in fact it starts to work out so much as brothers get annoyed and i predict that for your life you are god's lover and everything's going to work out but as a result there's some pain some people won't like it particularly people don't like not only people that things work out but people who know and have confidence and assurance that it'll work out joseph had that so what his brothers do For sake of time, I'll just shorten the story by saying they throw him in a pit and they sell him off, and he literally becomes a servant, a slave. Many, many years later, Joseph, this is a 13-year period of his life of excruciating pain, finds himself in a dungeon, in a pit, but 80 of his years on this earth are the blessing of God that you can't even imagine. He becomes essentially the second in command of the most powerful empire of the known world. And his brothers put him in a pit. The story plays out in Genesis 15, as I spit a little bit. <laughs> the story plays out in Genesis 15, that is, he finally reveals himself to his brothers in a dinner that didn't even recognize him because of his new role and occupation. And they're terrified. They think their brother is going to have vengeance on him. And long before Romans 8, 28 was ever penned by Paul, Joseph, the ancient figure from the first book in the Torah, says, oh, my brothers. They're like, Joseph, we're so sorry. Oh, my God, we didn't, I, We, you know, uh, we threw you in a pit. Really sorry about that. And he's like, no, listen to me. You meant it to harm me. And make no mistake, there are people in this world that intend to harm you. As much as I hate that, as much as we aspire to be a community that is the opposite of that, there are people, because we're all people, who even in a church like ours, seek to serve themselves and will hurt you in the process. But Joseph says this to his brothers who sought to harm him, and some would argue kill him. He said, you meant it for evil. You meant it to harm me. But God, he meant it for good. And I am where I am today because you tried to put me in a pit. But God's harmony and God's melody and his wonderful, generous conductor way, he worked it in preparation so that I could be provision that God could position me to ensure that our family lives so that his father would live and that his brothers and their wives and their children would have hope. Maybe you're in a pit. You are not far from a palace. But I urge you and I implore you to believe in the God who can take you from a pit to a palace in an afternoon, that you trust him. The palace is not all that it's cracked up to be. The pit is not nearly as painful as they say. Neither one are your home. Eternity is your home. The person of God is your home. But in the meantime, let's be people, whether in the pit or in the palace, that believe it's gonna work out. How could you be so sure, Judah, it's gonna work out? I stood in my kitchen last night and told my son, listen to me, it just works out for me, son. I'm convinced that it just works out for me, and I know it. It just works out for me. I always end up winning. It just works out for me. Dad, how do you know? I'm his lover, he loves me and he called me and designed me for this purpose. Why in the world can't you say the same thing? I'm telling you, there is New Testament biblical evidence, not only in the Torah, but now in the book of Romans that declares you are called, you are loved and God is going to take even the most foul difficult, painful things in your life and weave them into your story for your good and for your benefit. And with reading the scripture one more time in the Passion Translation. So we're convinced, Church Home, that every single detail of our lives is continually being woven together for good. We are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his design purpose. I pray those words today are absorbed into your body, your brain, and to the core of your soul. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you. Your words are alive. And in fact, if we know anything, we know you are the great conductor of us all. So work your beautiful, magnificent and magical ways and weave O oh, eternal weaver of time weave now using melody and harmony to bring symphony through and around our lives yours is the kingdom and yours is the power forever and ever without end amen as we close, if you're here and you'd like to receive the way of Jesus, the gift of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, just say, I receive it. I receive him. And it's done. And this relationship is yours. And the forgiveness has already been paid for. And it will never be the same. We exist as a community to walk alongside with you, to give you opportunities to build and forge relationships, maybe with people in your neighborhood, but potentially people all over the world, to walk with you, as together we endeavor to follow Jesus, the superhero of the world. I love you, church. I pray this week that you'll see the harmony and the melody that God is working through even the painful places of your path and your journey. Love you, see you next week.